Welcome to Interruptions Podcast, where we have heartfelt and sacred discussions about our culture, faith traditions, and community. We invite guests who are open and willing to share their journey and disrupt the silence on their personal and professional interruptions that have impacted their lives as it relates to emotional wellness. Coach Kathy and I are passionate about every episode and committed to providing actionable advice that you can apply today to reinvent yourself on your life journey and encourage you to develop a path towards healing. Our podcast today is titled, Welcome to Holland. Our guest today is Coach Kathy Patton and Candace King Kelly. I am one of your hosts, Reverend O. And I am. I see you said I was a guest, so I got lost. <laughs> what happens when you wear two hats? <laughs> and I am Coach Kathy. That is too funny. I love it. <laughs> what happens when you wear two hats and you give That's me a, right. a script? I'm like, well, she's got to do these roles. <laughs> so we have a change of venue today. Yes, yes, I am definitely. Excited. This is the month of April is Autism Month. And this month we are having some powerful conversations about autism. So I'm excited and excited about today's podcast. Me so too. today the foot shoe is on the other foot because now I get to do all the interviewing. <laughs> so I've got questions. Boy, do I have uh, questions. I bet you do. Okay, <laughs> here it goes. So let's welcome to the room. Our guest today is Candace. Candace Kelly, can you please come into the room? Hello. Come on down. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> thank you for having me. Candace, thank you and and thank you for being here. So as you heard backstage, today's little payback that Kathy is giving to me, because the last couple of um, episodes we've had, my sorority sisters were in the room. But the last episode was Alphas. He was your fraternity brother. So, but you know, it's been predominantly deltas. And I read the, the script today and I said, I have to wear a red sweater so I can represent. <laughs> so I had to change my clothes so that I could represent my colors. But not only does Kathy talk highly about you, she talks about you being her little sister and yes. also being a member of the AKA sorority. So yes, welcome. Ma'am. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So this month, as we mentioned, is Autism Month, and we want to be able to talk to you and Kathy about being parents and having children who have been diagnosed with autism. And if you're just a person who has autism, and you can enjoy this conversation that we're going to have. So Candace, again, welcome. Thank you. I have my first question I would like to throw at Kathy. So you get to sit back and the, the, the fire's not coming right at you right away. <laughs> thank so, you, thank you. <laughs> so let's talk about autism. Um, Kathy, I remember you saying artist. I remember when I was younger, I remember mm -hmm. hearing an, an adult say their child was autistic. 
but mm-hmm. I thought they were saying artistic and uh. they made it seem like it was bad. So I'm thinking as a child, you know, why is being artistic, someone who can paint and color and do great and creative things, why is that bad? And I remember hearing the adult talking about he didn't want to tell anyone that his child was autistic. So for those who really don't know, who are listening, can you tell us, Kathy, what is autism? I'm glad you said that that way, Odell, because as we, again, you know, we always go back to our childhood. So as we were growing up, we heard about um, mental health or, or uh, someone that was retarded. And so um, over the past few years, what has happened is that everything is not clumped into one uh, particular group. So they are defining now the different areas of developmental delays. So autism really is a spectrum disorder, is a condition related to brain development. And that impacts how a person perceives and socializes with each other, causing problems in social interaction and sometimes communication. The disorder also includes and is limited to repetitive patterns and behaviors. So for every person with autism, it looks different. Um, while you can say that um, some there's a group of people that might have autism that are considered Asperger's, or there's a group of people that have that social anxiety. And so even with autism, you can't just say um, on a blanket statement that your child is autistic because there's different levels of autism. Oh, that's thank you for sharing. So a question I have for both of you, um, autism, is it hereditary? That I don't know. Um, I can't, you know, I can't say that it's not. No one in my immediate family um, or, you know, either side, my parents or, you know, no one's autistic. So she is the first, not even on my husband's side of the family, was there anyone that was autistic. So I'm really not sure. And I've done research, but never not, you know, I've never researched whether it was hereditary or not. So I'm definitely not sure about that. Okay. And that, and that's, those conversations never have happened with me either. Although um, there were certain studies being done on um, my daughter when she was younger, but those words have not been shared, but it doesn't mean it isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can say the same as Candace, no one in my family has ever um, had autism um, or developmental delays either. Okay, because you know what we talk about on this show is our elders never talk to us about their health, mm-hmm. never told us um, what they had or what a child had, and we just you know, we we were told this is grown folks' business. You know, we just mm-hmm. go into another room. So another question I have for you, Candace, is yeah. when did you find out that your daughter had autism? I, I think I had an inkling when she was around two. I'm also an educator. I was a U.S. history teacher, and now I'm a school librarian. But developmentally, she was not talking. And I think that was the first clue to me was just her being nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And at that age, she should have been saying something, you know, a small vocabulary, but something And I would say to my husband, you know, something's not right. And we definitely need to bring someone in or take her 
somewhere for testing. And he was definitely, um, be, you know, not wanting to really hear that or didn't digest it well. And I, I think that we as a people tend to say, oh, she'll talk when she wants to, or okay. he or she'll do whatever when they're ready to do so. But as an educator, that just didn't fly with me. And I then um, took her to her pediatrician and she and I discussed it. And she then referred me to Bertha Three. I called Bertha Three and they came in and evaluated her. So they also suspected what I suspected, you know, at that time that she could definitely be on the spectrum because she was not talking. Now she would point at things that she wanted or grab your hand and lead you to those things, um, especially if it was something on a shelf, but it was always, you know, and never just verbalizing or communicating with words what it was that she needed or wanted. Okay. So at that age is when I realized she needed some help. Now I hear, and Kathy, I have the same question for you, but in, in your answer, Kathy, I want you to respond also thinking about your husband. Is it, mm. do you all think that it's more difficult for fathers to accept that something is not, that their child is not perfectly healthy? Because I know when I was younger, when I heard the relative talking about it, it was the father and he was embarrassed. It was more like a taboo. Don't want to talk mm -hmm. about it. And I just heard you say you talking with your husband, but you took your daughter. So yes. Kathy, when did you find out about your, your daughter and how did your husband respond? So our situation was very different than um, Candace's because t uh, our daughter was really tiny. And so, um, you know, we already had had a child and my son did everything really, really fast. You know, he was talking before he was one, he was growing off the chart. And so when I was taking my daughter to those, you know, you those appointments parents love to go to because you want to see how much your child has grown and how much they weigh and you want to report it to the grandparents. And so that's how I found out because I was taking my daughter for her, her three month appointment and her doctor um, kept measuring her head. And, um, and it was to the point that I noticed that he was measuring her head. And I asked him like, why do you keep doing that? And he said, well, you know, her head really is not growing. He said, um, and I said, well, what does that mean? She's just tiny. She was, you know, born tiny. And he said, well, you know, and I should say her six month appointment. I said three months, her six months appointment. He said, because what can happen if a child's brain is not growing, it could mean that she's not developing her cognitive skills or any of her skills at that point. And so all I remember you know, I don't even remember, my mother was watching my son at our house and I don't even remember the drive home because I just was in tears. I left that doctor's office in tears just saying, you know, what's happening with my baby and not really knowing. Now, like Candace, my mother was in the school system 
And so immediately she knew how, you know, the next steps to take. But I also have to say that her, my doc, my daughter's uh, pediatrician at the time acted immediately as well. So they referred us, like Candace said, to Peter, we, uh, Peter, we, to, um, <laughs> to birth to three, uh, my job, I'm getting my job in my head. So <laughs> birth to three, and they called like within the week and um, started coming out and, and doing, you know, things with her. But along the way, they did a lot of testing. And this is where my husband comes in. And mind you, my daughter was really, really tiny. She was born like six pounds, a little over six pounds, and she really didn't grow. Um, and so uh, they did an MRI. And you know what a big MRI machine looks like. Yes. And so imagine her tiny little body going into an MRI machine. And then they did testing, um, like genetic testing. So I'm glad you asked that question. They were doing genetic testing. And then the, 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 my husband would always go with me to all of these appointments. And, um, and then the one last test where uh, they, they took a tube and was sticking it up her nose and, and down through her throat. And my husband made me leave. And he took me in and he took me out in the hall and he says, listen, I don't know what's going on with our daughter. He said, but this is the last test we're going to allow them to do on her. It is what it is. We deal with it as the days come and we will figure out how to raise her together. Now, you both know my husband and I never listen to my husband. <laughs> And I'm going to make sure he hears it. <laughs> but that one time, he said it with such tenderness and such um, authority that I said, okay, that was it. And again, just, you know, in tears, because we just didn't understand what was going on. And so I can say from the beginning, he's been by my side through everything and every decision. And so he's been, he was not one of those that said, mm, no don't believe it. He, he was like, this is what it is. And we're going to get her the help that she needs. Now, Kathy, you have a son and then yes. you have a daughter, a son who doesn't, who is not autistic Correct. and a daughter who is. And Candace, mm -hmm. what about you? I have an older daughter who is 25. My daughter that's autistic is eight. What, what, what? I'm sorry. Say it again, please. <laughs> my eight-year-old is autistic and my 25-year-old, who will be 26 this month, um, is wonderful. So what's but the, the little age? one's wonderful too. <laughs> so what's the age difference on that, Candace? I don't want to do 17 and a half years. 17 and a half years. Okay. So I'm going to take a step back. <laughs> so we, we have you on this podcast to talk about autism, having a child with who is autistic. And we also talk about our show was called Interruptions, Life mm -hmm. Interruptions. Now, 17 and a half years for the second one, yes. that's, a, that's an, to me, now to me, that's an <laughs> interruption. Yes, so, it is. I don't want to assume this is an interruption for you, but having that second child was she planned? Was it an accident? Was, was it, it she was She was the baby that we prayed for. Okay. She was the baby that we prayed for. My older daughter is not my husband's daughter. Okay. And my husband didn't have any children. And I wanted him to have one. We, we wanted to have one together. And 
after trying for five years and giving up, you know, literally not thinking about it. Surprise. <laughs> there she is. So it wasn't a, a, an, a bad interruption or a, she was the child prayed for. And um, like Kathy, because of our, my age, I was 26 when I had my older daughter and 43 when I had Cameron and um, all the tests they want to take because I'm a mature mother. That's I right. remember That's the word. they wanted to give me an amniocentesis. And after the doctor explained, you know, sticking a needle in the stomach and, you know, it could hit the baby. My husband was like, absolutely not. If this baby has any, anything, we are going to love this baby either way. So we don't need a test for anything because no matter what it is, no matter how it is, it just, that's what it's going to be. So um, a slight, it wasn't a disruption. It was a delay. I'll say okay. that. It was, it was a delay. She okay. was a delay. All right. And, so and my older daughter was a senior in high school. Yes, I was done. <laughs> and now I have Cam. <laughs> and God bless you. Yes. So an interruption. We always talk about those things that just happen that change the course of our lives that make us breathe deeper. And okay, here we go. Because you know, we were all told, you know, finish high school, get married, go to college, a house, picket fence, you know, blah, blah, blah. These are all the things that you do. Then life happens. So thinking back, what would you say would be your life interruption? Because we don't want to say that your daughter's being born was an interruption for you. So what would, what, what would you say was a life interruption for you? I don't know. I, I, maybe picking up and moving from Dallas, Texas to uh, New Haven, Connecticut at, you know, 38 years old. Okay. Um, but a planned disruption. Um, my husband is from Connecticut. I'm actually originally from San Francisco, California. And I went to, uh, undergrad and grad in Texas and was living in Dallas, Texas when I met my husband. So, you know, dating long distance and um, deciding that, you know, we are going to spend our lives together, um, having to pack up my daughter, who at the time was 11, almost 12, okay. and um, moving to New Haven. So I think, you know, if anything, that was my um, interruption, but a planned interruption. And all interruptions I, are good. Yes, Not all yes. of them are bad. Yeah, so, a planned interruption. But so, I, I have the, the life motto that I just keep it moving. I don't have time to live in any space that's negative. Um, I, you know, they say weeping indoors for a night. So I might have that moment, but then... I keep it moving. So, you know, I, I think that's what allows me to uh, always keep going because I, I just don't stay married to situations. 
Now, question for both of you. Thank you for both mm -hmm. of you. You now have to tell family um, that your child has autism. And how is that perceived? How, what happens there? How did they receive that information? I, I say for myself, um, very well. My mother was an educator as well. And she wasn't, you know, she didn't live here. She lived in Dallas. She did come, you know, to New Haven and spent a lot of time with my daughter who, and, and if anyone is her favorite person, it is her peach grandma. Um, she loves peach grandma to death. And peach grandma was here to, you know, work with her during the day when I was at work and, um, just really be, you know, a part of the team. And, and I, you know, Isaac's parents as well were it, like, we're going to love this baby regardless and we're going to do whatever it takes to help her. So I think everyone was very supportive um, okay. after the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Now, you and Kathy are both college educated women. And I've heard you say twice that I'm an educator. What would you say to the parents who are not educators, who mm. did not go to college, and they're realizing that something is wrong with a relative's child, maybe a grandchild or niece, a nephew, or someone that they know and see and love? And their initial concept is, I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm not going to say anything. It's none of my business. Mm. What do you say to those individuals out there when they realize that they have a question, maybe something is wrong with their development. What do you say to them to address? I, I say to um, put all things aside, you know, your hesitation, um, not wanting to get involved because the earlier that you, you know, get the child, the help that he or she needs, the better off their life will be in the future. So I think, you know, if you see that there's a problem and if you see that the child needs help, because everyone doesn't know how to reach out for help. Everyone um, does not have the connections or the access to help or, you know, are kind of stuck. You may see something yourself, but I think as a parent, when you see your child um, having these moments or going through anything, um, and then you realize and, and you know for sure that something um, is wrong, you kind of go through a grieving process of what you had hoped their life would be. And I think once you get past that grieving process, you kind of spring into action to do whatever is necessary to help the child. So I think with the proper nudge, with the proper help, and, it, and it's really all in your presentation, how you present what you think to that parent or the friend, um, family member, it, it's how you present. And it, it is definitely shown that the earlier the intervention, um, the better for the child. That's good. Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, Odell, I have to say um, that Candace 
was really because I was there for the you know the entire book, but Candace was really calm um, when she had suspicions that her daughter um, had autism. She knew there was something wrong. I don't know that she labeled it autism, but she recognized that there was something wrong. And she, so she she pre I if if she was you know, nervous about it behind, then she was hiding it very well because she approached everything with a plan. So she knew that she was going to talk to her physician. She knew even she was going to talk to, she was already planning like appropriate schooling for her. So she, she really, when she says she was an educator, I do think the fact that she had that background really helped her maneuver the situation um, better with her daughter where, you know, and probably that's why her family took it the way that they did because she presented it very calmly. She was never, you know, tearful or anything, but she was very calm and just knew that this is what step she had to take. Whereas me, I mean, my family probably was upset because I was crying every day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I just, when I shared it with my family and it, and it wasn't, I don't, I think Candace puts it a really, in a really good way in terms of that you're in mourning. I never mm -hmm. questioned God. I never, I never was sorry that we, you know, my daughter had autism. I was just tearful because I didn't know what to do. And I relied on other people to have to give me that information. Luckily at the time, my mother who was alive at the time, she was an educator. So she came to all of our IEP meetings with my husband and myself. Now, what's IEP, did, Kathy? So individual, what, I'm sorry, Candace. Individualized education plan. Thank you. Okay, thank you. And so you have those though too, even, you know, with when you're meeting with birth to three and with, you know, and so it can be a very intimidating process. So my mother did all of the talking for us. I literally would sit there through those meetings and just cry for the first three to four years. I just and I knew what I was stepping into. I knew that the meetings were coming up and and I would go into this mood, you know, this whole mood a week before, like not wanting to speak to anyone because I just needed to focus on what I was getting ready to go through. And it really can take a toll on you because you have this group of professionals sitting around the table telling you what is best for your child. And so you needed, I needed my mother there to be the voice for us to say, but this is what they want to see happen. And so, you know, it came to a point where my mother said, you know, to my husband and I, okay, the next one, you are going to go. And I'm like, no, don't release this shit. <laughs> We're not ready. <laughs> you know, but it's like, you know, people in until uh, she was still in, in a daycare situation right now. And as Candace said in the old, you know, the, the old school conversation about she, she'll talk when she's ready. She doesn't need this. And, you know, the situation um, at the time that much that she turned three, they release you from birth to three. I'm mm -hmm. thinking that they're there like forever. Like I understood it's birth <laughs> to three, but like, why not 33? You know, <laughs> what, what happened, you know? And so, you know, at the time of three, they contact you and say, okay, you have to make a decision for a school for your child now. Mm -hmm. I'm like, but she's three, I, you, she's not ready. And, you know, I'm not ready. And so I remember 
I remember talking to my sister to say, and they're making me, you know, make a decision for what school for her to go to. And, and, um, and my sister said, well, have you prayed on it? Mm. And I remember wanting to like pull her through the phone and choke her. Cause I'm like, what do you mean? Have I prayed on it? I pray every day. That's all I do. I'm praying. She says, right. But did you pray on it and leave it? Because, mm. you know, is if you keep, touching it, then yes. you're not going to get the answers that you're looking for. So I remember that evening and I remember praying and I prayed for two hours longer than I had ever prayed in my life. And I just released so much. I was just tearful and crying. And, and I woke up the next morning and I felt like I could see the sun for the first time for the last two years. Right. I don't remember waking up and seeing the sun. And then I thought about, oh, my God, my son, what have I done with him? I don't remember events. I don't even remember day to day. For a two-year period while she was with birth to three, I don't remember what I did on a daily basis. And so I think the advantage for her, for Candace, was she had that understanding of what needed to happen for her daughter where I didn't have that background. And yes, you very good point that you make that I um, you know, went to college and, and have a master's in social work, but it didn't help me as a parent at that time. I, when I was younger, I had a have, a, I have a speech impediment. So I stuttered really bad. And my family would just say, when Dale's lying, she stutters. And that was it. And I would be teased, bullied, laughed at. They would interrupt. They would finish my sentences for me or hit me on my back because I would it, it, it get stuck with the word. And I don't remember when or who initiated it, but I started going to speech classes and I would see a speech therapist. And then I don't remember what happened, but then I know it stopped. And I wish that it had continued mm -hmm. because it wasn't me stuttering because I was lying. I stuttered when I wasn't lying. But mm -hmm. when I was more nervous, I stuttered mm -hmm. repeatedly. So it became a family joke and it increased my low self-esteem and myself and all. You know, it took me years to finally get through that. And stuttering, I learned, is hereditary. Both my mm -hmm. children started stuttering at an early age. And because I knew it, I detected it. I knew what to do to help them stay calm, mm -hmm. speak slow, breathe, take your time and to get through it now. And neither one of them grew up as adults stuttering, but my granddaughter started stuttering and I knew what to do with her. Mm -hmm. So it's these images that we have of our children mm -hmm. and what to do. And it has to be okay to say, mm -hmm. I need to find help. Yes. Yeah. So Odell, I'm gonna switch back to Coach Kathy and put my co-host okay. hat back on. Well, Coach and Kathy, I have uh, a question for you. Because okay. what I talked about, and oftentimes what obviously when you're in these meetings and, and you're meeting with your doctors, you don't you don't talk about what I just talked about. Obviously, Candace and I do in terms of prayer, but um, you know, that's not a that doesn't come up in the conversations when you're having professional meetings. However, that was important to me and that's what got me through. But what was 
part of my initial challenge was my balance, as you heard my sisters say, have you prayed on it? So part of my initial challenge was my balance between faith and works. Okay. I had the faith, um, but I felt that if I didn't fight or do the work for her and get services she needed, then she and I would be lost. So what do you say to parents like Candace and myself when we come to you with such a life interruption? Do you think since, um, and do you think since the loss of your son, your response might be different now than prior to the loss of your son? My, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I see Candace's face like, don't touch me. I'm on a podcast. <laughs> uh, don't worry about it. My response is definitely different now than it would have been when I was prior to losing my son is like most people, I blamed God. I was mad at God because it's why didn't you say, why did you do this? But through this interruption, I learned that there are no answers. There are no answers to why God, why God does anything and God saves. God creates, God destroys, and we are who we are, and we're to love us and to do the best we can with what we have to take care of our children and to give them the best. And that's the answer that I have for, for anyone now, because life is not perfect. I mean, here, here I lost a son, and you two have daughters who, have, who are autistic, and just think about, and I was reading the other day of the royals who the pressure to have their firstborn to be a son and what that would mean if the firstborn was not a son, you know, then who's going to be, if, are they going to be king? Are they going to be queen? So imagine the pressures that people have just to have a boy or a girl and what that life is like. And I remember hearing, if you think back over our adult life, that fathers want a son mm -hmm. and they feel that their life, their life is not validated if they don't have a son and they either turn their sons, their daughters into their sons, you know, because it's, it's what they want and what they didn't have. And they try to create and they put the pressure on our children, but all I know is God creates, God destroy, and God loves. And it's up mm -hmm. to a parent to love. And like you all said, find the resources that you need and reach beyond your imagination to give your children the best that they can possibly have. And just go with that because there's no rhyme or reason. Mm -hmm. And I, I know people you know, my firstborn was a daughter. And I remember my husband wanting a son. And I remember him teaching my daughter how to play baseball, you know, cap turned on back backwards. And she's, and I'm like, she's a girl. But that's what he did to her. And then when the son mm -hmm. came, you know, the son's like, I don't want to play baseball. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. So it, it was no rhyme or reason. And you all are, you all did what you did. And most people do get mad at God, but to know that God loves and you all are loving, and that's the most important thing. 
So I appreciate that. I, and I would have appreciated those type of um, counseling comments to me at that time. Because honestly, I really was not certain which way I was going and literally just every day, just kind of going through the motions. So I talk about, you know, that it was a that moment where I had to make a decision for, we had to make a decision for her schooling. Um, however, um, what really took place with too was that my husband and I visited at the time our daughter was not um, verbal. So she was three and still not speaking, which you would never know that now. Um, you would have thought that she was born speaking as much as she talks now, but she wasn't verbal. And so at the time, the school, uh, we went to our town school and we weren't satisfied with this, what they had in place. And so we went to visit the school ACEs. And, and I have to say that really was the first time that really someone sat down with us, a, a person of color to help us through the situation. And so when we, uh, this is the old, not the new ACEs, but the old ACEs back then, when you walked in, there were um, medical equipment in the hallway. And, and you have to realize that this is a, a school for students with all abilities. And so um, when I saw the medical equipment, I really got nervous and started crying all over again saying, oh, this is not going to be the place for her. And, and so the, um, the woman came in and she has since passed, but she was awesome. Her name was Carol. And, and she handed me some tissues. She says, I know this is hard for you. She said, it is. You never thought that you would be here. She said, but I want to tell you what we're going to do with her. We're going to give her a way of speaking to you. And so the program that we have available for her is complete sign and language. So as the teacher is talking, because not everyone in the room um, is, is nonverbal, as the teacher is talking, she's also using her hands to teach them how to verbalize and say words. And she said, and I'm going to walk with you down to the class and you sit and you watch. And if you don't want your daughter to go here, then let's talk about that. She said, but remember that we're looking what's going to be best for her, what's going to get her to the point where you want to see her. And she did. And for me, that was a pivotal point in our life that someone just took that time to talk to us first, to actually, you know, touch my hand, to say that things were going to be okay because we're making a plan for her. That was a pivotal moment for me. Now, I heard both of you, thank you, Kathy, and I, I hear both of you all talking about schools. Um, when did you know, I mean, who told you, I, I heard your story, Kathy, who told you, or how did you know that your child needed to go to a special school and not go into public school? How did you find that school? Is that a question for yes. me? Yes, yes, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. question for um, Cameron, Cameron actually goes to um, public school. She's in a regular ed classroom. She functions well. Uh, we just got paperwork actually for her to be tested for talented and gifted. So okay. um, cognitively, thank you. Cognitively, she's always had it. Um, her problem is social. So I, you know, more Asperger's where she is socially awkward and not really knowing what to do in a social setting and 
she's coming along. She's been in speech therapy and uh, OT since she was two with the same speech therapist and who is phenomenal. Her name is Michelle Newman, but she is in a regular ed classroom. She does have an IEP, um, which is, you know, the majority of her goals on her IEP are actually social uh, and more of a watching her. Cameron is very stubborn. Mm -hmm. um, and though she can perform, she doesn't always want to. So she'll do a little and then she decides I'm done. So her, her special ed teacher has to come in and say, Cam, you know, you've got three more problems or Cam, you need to write two more sentences, you know, or Cam, let's, you know, focus. And, and she has gotten to a groove where she um, really loves reading and writing. You know, anytime there's an assignment with reading and writing, her teacher says she's all over, it. you know, it's one story she has to write. She writes two. Okay. Um, she really dislikes math but she's very good at math. And her teacher said she's never seen a student that hates a subject that she is very well, you know, she does well. And her, you know, although she reads well and she, she writes well, but her math skills are better than her reading and writing skills. And she absolutely <laughs> abhors math and will yell out and act out during math time. Um, so it, she does well, you know, in her class, but socially, um, she went from not really wanting to be bothered with other students. And okay. I can say that she went to St. Aidan's first and the little girls in her pre-K were adamant that you are going to be our friend, whether you want to or not, <laughs> you are going to play with us, whether you want to or not. And one little girl in particular, every day I dropped him off. She was like, Cameron, I got a seat for you right here. Come sit down. And Cam would begrudgingly go and sit down, <laughs> but you know, she would be a part of the group. And, and I, I have to admire those little girls for being very persistent. Now, during the pandemic, when we were, you know, at home and Cameron was living her best life at home, she has a friend, another shorty sister whose daughter, you know, loved Cam since they met. And she would call Cam on iPad and say, let's play Roblox. And at first, Cam was like, like, you know, I don't want to do this. I just want to sit on my iPad and not be bothered with anyone. But eventually she got into it and they would be on the iPad three and four hours a day. And it was literally like pure, you know, her peer modeling and it was peer therapy. And because her friend called her daily, she learned how to interact with other children and then wanted to interact with other children. She looked forward to her friend calling her. Good. Whereas, you know, she's at school now. Oh, she's frozen. Yeah, Candace, so you know you're frozen. So go ahead, Odell. So I recently learned what this Roblox is. I have a granddaughter. <laughs> and, you know, during the pandemic, Maya was using Roblox. And I was like, what is this? You know, it's not anything I knew about. So we're gonna, we lost her, we hope she'll come back so we can have questions. But I'm gonna ask you this question until she comes, until Candace returns, mm -hmm. is as a mother, you have to adjust to get ready. As, as a mother, you have to adjust to get ready for a child. How much of an adjustment yes. did you two have to make to get ready for 
to adjust to having a child with autism. Motherhood is an adjustment already by itself. Now you have a child that is has, has autism and you have to adjust yourself differently. What mm -hmm. major pivots in your life did you all have to make for yourselves for this new adjustment? Kathy, I'll go with you first. Yeah, I think um, because she wasn't verbal um, for so long, I had to really recognize not so much for her, um, but that people would want to speak to her and, and anticipated a response back. And so I had to prepare myself to say she doesn't really talk right now. Okay. And so you get exhausted of doing that, right? And so I oftentimes I just would not go out um, because I got tired of people really, you know, um, and then she also wore glasses and, and while people mean well, you know, they would touch her and, and really kind of get in her face. And she wasn't a person that really liked at that time to be touched or for people to be in her face. And so, you know, my husband and I would balance well to, you know, if I needed to go to the store, he might stay here with her or she just had those different issues with her, um, she was very sensitive to sound and very sensitive um, to especially loud noises. And, and at the time, um, just weary, leery of people that she uh, didn't know. And again, you wouldn't recognize that by her now, but it was just something that she had to work through. But as a parent, you prepare yourself. You always have to plan, where am I going? Who are the people that I'm going to be around? Um, is she going to be comfortable? Am I going to have a time limit as to when I need to stay? And again, this is really in, in her younger years, not, not an issue now, but those are always the things that you have to, you know, like when a parent goes out and they have to bring a diaper bag, well, we have to bring more than a diaper bag. We have to bring the whole armor of God with us because <laughs> we're always worried about who's going to be around and, and what's going to happen and what's the setting. And you know, and so, and then you have to put in travel time and that as well. How, okay. you know, are they going to be okay with a 30 minute drive or a 15 minute drive? So it's always preparing. You're always on guard. What about you, Candace? I could speak to Kathy being on guard. I, I remember when I first moved here and we had sorority meeting and I was actually leaving out of sorority meeting early and Kathy was coming in with Teal. And I remember stopping saying, Teal, I know you don't want to sit in this meeting with your mom. Do you want to go hang out with me and let your mom go to the meeting? And I remember Kathy like, like, ma'am, are you crazy? And I said, okay, come on, Teal, let's go. And we left and I left Kathy standing there. I don't know what she was thinking, but I left her there. <laughs> that and was she kept calling thing. me and I said, <laughs> don't call me again. She's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know Teal will. Yeah, everything. I, I love going to Kathy's house. My granddaughter loves it. Can I go with can I go upstairs with Teal? You know. <laughs> and she just talks to her and I just and I love it and she loves it. So so yes, it's I'm sure it's an adjustment. So I have questions for both of you. We have now a intern. Thank God that we have an intern <laughs> working with us. And we always want to encourage our interns to be engaged in learning something new. 
So Kathy gave her the task. Her name is Maya. I love her name. I haven't met Maya yet. Her name is Maya Drawn, and Maya is 15 years old and attends Sacred Heart High School in Hamden. So she's backstage probably smiling. So smiling, Maya, we're talking about you. (laughs) But we wanted to make sure that Maya is engaged in this process and we're not just talking at her. So she gave us a list of questions that she wanted us to ask, questions that she had about autism. So if you don't mind, I'm going to read Maya's questions and going to ask you all to respond, please. So uh, she says, if you could ask, oh, sorry, that's the question. How do you cope with a negative comment that are said about your autistic child? Like what's wrong with her? Why is she so hyper? Or sit down? Or why you keep running up and down? Or, you know, anything like that. What do you, how do you cope with the negative comments? How do you educate? Um, I, I have to, to say for myself to stay calm um, because, you know, people, if they're uneducated, they just don't know. And it's no fault of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, they may not know anyone that has autism or there, there may not be anyone in their family with autism. But I think in order for you to um, move in that moment and move in a positive place in that moment is for you to stay calm. And I myself have explained, especially when Cameron was very non-social, that she just likes to play by herself. And okay. she just likes to do things by herself. And if she wants to later, then she may play with you. And if not, maybe next time. Okay. But just to, to stay calm stay in calm. the situation. And Kathy? Yeah. Um, I, I think I have more of those issues with my son not running around and not sitting still. And <laughs> so my daughter was much better behaved than he was ever. <laughs> her younger age. Um, but I think same thing is you have to recognize the ignorance of people and not knowing and, and not understanding. And you learn to just, um, sometimes you can firmly share uh, and educate them at that time. But for the most part, you just chalk it off to being people, to people just not understanding really uh, what autism is. Thank you. What have you had to say to your child when somebody said something mean to them? And they've come to you and said, mommy, so-and-so said something and it was negative and you knew it was negative because your child was autistic, but it was just mean. I think for my daughter, it was more so that children didn't want to play with her and that's hurtful. That would hurt me. And so we would, um, you know, I would play with her and I would just say, well, I'm a better friend anyway, and you don't want to be their friend. And so I think that that's, um, and, and then you try and you try at the moment to just come up with the best answer. And you, that's a quick prayer. Like, Lord, let me just give her the best answer, but it's hurtful as a parent, no one wants their child to not feel wanted or welcome. And so you try and just maneuver their attention away and just, and then as they get older, your responses changes, change because you know that they're able to understand a little bit better what you might be saying. Okay. 
in your campus? I don't think I've had a situation where it was something negative because of her autism, but I think more so just, you know, last summer she went to camp and, and I don't work during the summer. So she normally spends summer at home with me and we do stuff, but, uh, Kathy encouraged me to let her go to camp and I thought it was going to be an entire show, but she actually went and was fine. But I think, you know, there was a girl, Philippa, that I had to hear about every single day. Philippa <laughs> took the ball. Philippa didn't want me to play with the Frisbee. Philippa. And I think because Philippa did not go to her school and there were girls um, that went to her school at camp and they are very, they are fiercely protective of Cameron. They've been with her since she was uh, in kinder. And she said, and Philippa said this and she would say, but Janae told her, you don't tell her anything. You don't say anything to her. So I think for Cam, I wasn't there, but you know, the, the little girls in her classroom, you know, feel some kind of way about anyone saying anything to her. So, you know, they put Miss Philippa in her place, but it <laughs> definitely wasn't because of her autism. It was just, you know, that kind of that I want that frisbee or yes. I want to play with that ball. It was more so that type of thing than uh, someone being mean to her because she's autistic. And can you imagine what our elders went through when people didn't want to be with them because they were black? you know, mm -hmm. and we're open and direct about your black or mm -hmm. your hair uh, or your skin complexion. And people are just mean. And we have to help our children and even us adjust all the time in terms of how to deal with co mean comments. Mm -hmm. So Canvas, I have a question for you. Yes. So I know you're a teacher, you're an educator. So do you adjust, do you find yourself being a teacher at home as well as when you're in school? Do you find a lesson that you say, oh, I can go home and tweak this and use it at home? Um, I use tools okay. that other teachers, so I, I'm the librarian in my school, but I do push in to a self-contained classroom um, we have a 10 day cycle. So on one of the days in our 10 day cycle, I push into a self-contained classroom and it's a mix of fifth and sixth graders. And when I see things that the teacher is doing in the class and they kind of coincide with what Cameron was doing last year when she was in second grade. So the teacher would give me like a multiplication chart, uh, a whiteboard so I can write the problems on or some of her flashcards or I would, but I can tell you, as a parent and you're an educator, it's very hard to teach your own child because you get very frustrated um, with their responses or lack of a response. And I think from a child's perspective, I think Cameron will never see me as a teacher. Mm -hmm. So she's not wanting to always conform to what I want to do at the time. Okay. Uh, and, and I tell Kathy all the time, we have to really speak calmly to her without, I know for myself, not getting mad because once I ask her questions, you know, once or twice, she's just like, she doesn't want to answer them. 
So she's like, I already told you, don't ask me again. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I think it's, it's very hard. And in, in her defense, it was the same way with my older daughter. Okay. I, I, I could not, I would call my friends, like if she had questions or things that she needed for school, I, if it was history, I call another history teacher. For, if it was science, I, and I let her talk to them, I could not do it because I would find myself so worked up and I, I didn't want her as well as Cam to feel any kind of way about, you know, that type of relationship. So I just keep it strictly. I'm mom and I will help you with your homework. Uh, I think even to the point that I would tell my husband, like you do the homework because I can't separate myself from, cause I'm going to want teacher, to right? do more and, and not just what the assignment is okay. or what my expectations of what her answer should be. Um, you know, and I never taught elementary school. I taught middle school and high school, but I definitely um, had to kind of check myself okay. on what my expectations were and what the reality was. Got it. My daughter, I remember when my daughter was probably 11, she says, oh, I want to be a chef just like you and daddy. And my, 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 and my mother was a chef. And I knew this chick was not interested in cooking, but she wanted to be a chef. She wanted to go to culinary school. And I'm like, you don't even like wiping the kitchen tables off. You don't keep a kitchen. <laughs> to me, I'm, I, I, look, I'm looking at little aspects of her and I'm like, you don't keep a kitchen clean. You don't wipe the stove completely. You know, I'm going through all these things in my head and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> you wanna be a chef. So she was adamant. So that summer, I said, you're going to be my assistant in the kitchen. Every time I cook, you're going to help me. So she was excited. Little did she know that she had to prep. I said, you're going to clean the lettuce, cut the chicken. So I made her my prep cook. I'm not touching raw chicken. I looked at her like, oh, yes, you are. She didn't want to do any of the prep work. She thought culinary was the, the end work of it, you know, the fancy work, the season, the spices and the tasting and putting it on the plate. I said, before you get there, you have to know how to cut and cook and clean. And I made her that entire summer. She said, never mind. I changed my mind. I don't want to go to culinary school. I said, I'm going to get it out your system. And I made her do it anyway. And Lord and behold, she ended up going to culinary school. And when it came time for them to cut the chicken, she is proud to say that she knows how to clean and cut chicken faster than any of her students in class. I said, that's because I tortured you, you know, but you're right. It's difficult to turn off being mom and being the, who you are professionally, but our children need both. Our children need both. You all are doing a great job. So Kathy, I have a question for you now. Our podcast is called Holland. And I sent you a text and I said, okay, why is our podcast called Holland? So I need you to please explain why our podcast is called Holland. Well, it, we, our title of our podcast is Welcome to Holland. And I will be happy if you will indulge me for a minute to explain Thanks. why. So um, along the way, uh, uh, any pair we all uh, have hopes for an, as normal a childhood as possible for our children. 
And so as I was struggling with understanding how to raise my daughter well, I went to an event and someone read this poem um, by a woman named Emily Pearl, and it's called Welcome to Holland. It was written in 1987. She was an American author and social activist, but she talked, she wrote this poem because she had a child with a disability and it's called Welcome to Holland. And the poem goes like this. When you're going to have a baby, it's like you're planning a vacation to Italy. You're all excited. You get a whole bunch of guidebooks. You learn a few phrases so you can get around. And it comes time to pack your bags and, and you're ready to go to the airport. Only when you land, the stewardess says, welcome to Holland. And you're looking around in disbelief like, Holland, what are you talking about? I signed up for Italy. But they explain that there's been a change in the plan and you've landed in Holland and there you must stay. But I don't know anything about Holland. I didn't plan for Holland. I didn't pack for Holland. I don't want to stay. But you stay. You have no choice. So you go out and you buy some new guidebooks. You learn some new phrases and you meet people you never knew existed. The important thing is that you're not in a place that's bad or filled with despair. You sim you're simply in a different place than you had planned to be. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy, um, but nonetheless, you've been there for a little while and you have a chance to catch your breath and you begin to discover that Holland has windmills, it has tulips, it has Rembrandts and art, but everyone else you know is busy coming and going from Italy and they're all bragging about what a great time they had and there they would spend the rest of their life there. But you say, yes, that's what I had planned. The pain of what you never go is, ne is will never go away, but you accept that pain. And because the loss of that dream, the loss of that plan, it's very real and it's a significant loss. But if you spend your entire life mourning the fact that you didn't go to Italy, you'll never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things that you enjoyed about Holland. And so I always remembered that poem and I use it whenever I work with parents or talk to parents that have children with disabilities because it is, well, no, our lives will never be normal, um, but we, we are experiencing so many other things. And so when our child says their first word, it's like a miracle. When our child takes their first step, it's another miracle. So everything that our child um, develops and does, we don't take it for granted. We recognize that everything is a miracle that they do. So thank you for letting me share that. Thank you. Thank you for finding that and sharing with us. Candace, thank you for being on our podcast. Thank you for having me. And sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me. And Kathy, I got a chance to interview you. I know. I appreciate it, though. <laughs> and I would, I would like to, to thank Kathy for all of her um, prayers and help. And I think that God guided me to Kathy and, and made us friends, um, put us in a place to share the same space because he was preparing me for this baby that I was going to have uh, one day. And I think having, you know, someone who was already had gone through it, had already been there, done that, and bought a t-shirt, um, was able to 
help me, you know, yes, Kathy says, because I'm an educator, um, I was able to navigate it. But Kathy's background has also helped me, you know, to say, this is an option, or this is an option, or you can ask this question, or you can ask that question. So she gives me a lot of credit, but she always was there to steer me as well, and, or to steer me to who could, you know, answer certain questions that I had. Um, you know, your questions are not always um, about your daughter or son's um, education, but just, you know, what could be extra activities outside? Can they play a sport? Can they play, you know, an instrument? Maybe they would like to do dance classes. And these are things that I saw Teal do. So, you know, you don't get in this rut to think that you have this child that has a disability and, and we're going to lock him or her away um, in a room somewhere, but that child has a life and can live that life. So you have to also give yourself credit, Kathy, for the things that you have brought to Cameron's life as her godmother and, and G as her godfather as well. Although she may treat G a little better. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. She loves that God, daddy. Oh my God. Kathy has been a blessing to me and my family and on my journey of healing and um, working with my daughter as an adult becoming a mother. Uh, there are many times I'm like, Kathy, you got to talk to her because I, I can't. <laughs> and Kathy knew what to say. And she listened. She said, Miss Kathy said, I'm like, but didn't I say the same thing? You know, <laughs> and, uh, we don't take things well from our mother. We don't <laughs> take it well. From God has else. God has a way of, like we mentioned earlier, God has a way of knowing what we need and putting people mm -hmm. in our path mm -hmm. that helps us to get through a day and a yes. life situation. Yes. And I can tell you, Candace, I was not able to do this podcast. My daughter is very direct. She's like, no, you can't do the podcast by yourself. I think you should ask Miss Kathy. Mm -hmm. um, so she's here and she said, yes. I didn't think she was going to say yes. She said, sure, I'll do it. And I love it. And it's been, a we have been blessing people who are listening to us. So we're still going to say, again, thank you, Candace, for being with thank us. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. And share this podcast. It'll be on Saturday, and people can hear it. Tell them to subscribe and share it and listen. So I thank you and blessings to your daughter. Thank you. And I'm still laughing at that yearly gap you got between one and two. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy, yes. I, I turn it over to you. Well, thank you. And thank you so much, Odell. Thank you for your kind words always and for allowing me to be on your journey. And Candace, you know, don't make me cry. And um, you're a bratty little sister, but you're a little sister. Let and me so tell you, <laughs> I, I want to add this is one thing. I remember the day that I, I, I said uh, that I took Teal with me from the meeting. And I remember, you know, we stopped at the house first and before we picked up my older daughter. And I remember my husband saying, is that Teal? And I was like, yeah. He goes, and Kathy let you take Teal? And I was like, yeah. He goes, she must really like you. Because <laughs> she doesn't let anybody take Teal anywhere. And if she let you take Teal somewhere, she really likes you. 
And I was like, well, my chest was puffed out like too. <laughs> so I, well, I thank you. Know, you. That's that, great. That has thank always you for that story. <laughs> with, it has stayed with me since that very day. Now, let me tell you, Odell, when you take Teal places, she will tell every single thing you've done, even though you tell her not to tell. Yeah. Well, I have raised her well. See, see, she knows. I was like, don't tell your mom I took you here. And she got right in the house, was like, guess where she took me? That's we had Johnny true. Rockets. We went to get cupcakes from Sugar. I was like, I told you not to say anything. But she, well, I, I love her. <laughs> Well, Candace, thank you again. And what Odell and I, for you and for our audience, what Odell and I try to do is expose that a life interruption can be traumatic or just an interruption in our lives that yes. can be temporary or permanently. It's permanent. It depends on our perspective of life. We will continue to discuss the impact of trauma and change and how a moment in time can alter your planned journey. But we also discussed that there's a time where we need to move towards healing and reinventing ourselves. Our podcast, as Odell shared, is for anyone who needs to share hear this message. So please share and like our podcast. And Odell, um, yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> and on our next podcast, is still we will be talking about autism, and you'll hear more about Odell's training course that she will share at that time. I'm so very proud of her. It is blowing up everywhere, and so I'm really excited for her. And so thank you to our audience for tuning in. Um, and again, please share. Odell, thank you as always. Thank you, Coach, Coach Kathy. Thank you, Candace. <laughs> it was a pleasure meeting you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.